guys. So this week we have Gabs Landman here. She is VP of A&R at Warner Brothers Records in Los Angeles, California. Welcome her. Thank you. you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> but obviously you're from the UK. Yes, I'm from London. I lived there um, up until college. And then I moved to Syracuse for my college years back to the UK and then I ended up in LA about six years ago I want to say so back and forth a lot but I think LA do you think you'll be in LA forever yeah yeah yeah, I'd like to at least yeah LA is nice the government will allow me I would love oh (laughs) there is that whole situation I sometimes you forget that because you just like travel freely and like the whole job (laughs) thing it's a little a little tricky. So welcome to how I got backstage. We would love to hear your story. I want you to like be raw, be real, mm-hmm. tell our listeners where you started, how you got to where you're at and don't leave any stone unturned. Like we want to hear the real story, especially the dirty and hard stuff mm-hmm. that we all went through to, to make yeah. it, you know? So, so kind of, you know, starting in, in London, yeah. where did you kind of get you know, what were the things that inspired you when you were younger to kind of, you know, love music and make it part of your life? Yeah, so um, I come from a very international family and like, you know, my mom moved to England and didn't even speak the language and like just fully knows like Israeli folk music, but nothing Anglo. And my dad is South African and had his music taste from home, but I wasn't like raised on classics there wasn't a music lover or someone in the family who played like it was just I loved music and I had to kind of figure it out for myself and I grew up in London in the 90s and so that was like fully the pop music years and like I always speak to other A&R people who are like oh yeah like I grew up on the stones and I'm like I love Britney Spears and Kylie Minogue (laughs) and that is my background so um, I I didn't even know this was really like a thing that would really happen it felt like a childhood dream of mine that was just something that I said like you know I first started saying it when I was very little like five years old and my parents thought it was the funniest thing ever and would just like ship me around to their friends and be like tell them what you're gonna do and I'm like I'm gonna be in the music industry like five years old so it just felt like one of those things I didn't know if it was feasible I didn't know anyone in the music business but I was determined and as a teenager, you know, at the time they had all these street teams and I would sign up and like fly up pe- people's cars and hand out show things. And like, was I don't know, probably didn't help anyone very much, but I tried. Um, and then- So wait, like what were there specific artists who you were like on their street team and who were they? I'm like, honestly, kind of embarrassed, but the main one where I think I racked up like so many points which isn't embarrassing, but I I haven't really discussed this with anybody. Was Black Eyed Peas? I was like a superstar. Yes, fan. I love that. Yes, we love Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. Well, DF, we love the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> I was very committed. Let me tell you, I'm like yes. Um, and funnily enough, I like made a friend through that whole situation who is now Billie Eilish's agent and I'm like 
literally tell people I'm like I've known him since I was 13 and they're like how well we both were teenagers and I'm like I can't like I literally can't tell you now I've exposed him but he's still well but like I actually have a good friend who's on Diplo's management team and we met back in the day because of a D-list boy band that no one's ever heard of that we chased around the country so yeah it it happens like that so funny but yeah so I was doing that and then I would sign up for like in the UK rather than internships, especially in in the teenage range, they do work experience, which is like two weeks long. So not much you can pick up in two weeks, it turns out, but I tried my best. And when it came time to, you know, my family, it was important to them and I wanted to get a degree too. I went to an international school because of my upbringing and my friends were mostly American and they were going to college in the States. So I started looking here too. And Syracuse had this brand new music based program. It was one year old. There was literally no alumni to speak to, no reputation, but it sounded like my dream. And I just did it. (laughs) You know, I just went for it and I showed up. And Syracuse is like a huge school, but my class, the music business program was 25 people. So I had like a family within this huge infrastructure. And, you know, my best friends from class this is not even a name drop it's just like it was amazing to be surrounded by people who were so passionate like one of them was Drew who's in the Chainsmokers the other's Harry Roberts who's literally like Drew's attorney and represents Pink Sweats and Adam Alter and a bunch of amazing artists and producers um and you know Zeke who's the year above me is a phenomenal A&R it was just like literally my family from when I was 18 ended up being people who I interact with every day now for my job. Yeah. So obviously I think you can go to college or not. You can major in music business or not. It doesn't actually matter. I think what was helpful was surrounding myself with people who loved the same thing. And you can do that anywhere because of the internet. So that's something I always encourage people to do is just like to find that crew. And like, um, like you said, your friend, who you guys followed the band around, yeah. you know, it's just nice to come up with people and to have history with someone who's like known you forever. So I did that program and it was great. They had people come speak every week from the industry. And I was like the annoying kid at the end who was like, can I please take your business card? And I'm sure sent the world's worst emails to them. Uh, some of them were like incredible and it's always stuck out to me. Like John Cohen, who runs Fader, I don't know if you know him. He was an angel and like answered all my annoying emails. And like, he's way too busy to have done that, but kind of stuck with me. And I try to be the same way to people now, if I, if, and when I can, I have no idea how he had the time, but he was great. And there were a lot of people like that. And the other thing, which was amazing was because I was stateside, I could intern at some US companies, which um, I think the internship system at the time was a bit different. Like I said, it's like two weeks in London, it's evolved now, but I got to college and was like, I'm going to be a booking agent. And that is that, like, there is no room for anything else. I am only interning in live music. I'm booking shows at Syracuse. This is it. And I did, I interned at Live Nation and Madison Square Garden and the agency group. And I'm like telling everyone like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a booking agent. And then senior year, I decided to study abroad in London, which was a weird choice. Let's be honest. But I went back home and my professor at Syracuse encouraged me to take an internship at Sony ATV, uh, which is, sorry, barking dogs, but it's a music publishing company 
and the internship was in A&R. And like, first of all, I hardly understood what music publishing was. It was like an answer on tests we took, but I'd never really like looked into it. And A&R was, I think my perception was like, get him to the Greek where uh, Jonah Hill's like following Russell Brand around. I was like, this does not appeal to me, but like, sure, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. And it was the most incredible internship. I was so lucky. It was actually hands-on, whereas some of my others were like, you know, more of them make your own work kind of thing. And I just loved it because my boss there, this guy Mark, had 80 songwriters on his roster, which is insane. Like, no one can do a good job for 80 people every day, no matter how much they want to. And so even though I was an intern, he, like, welcomed the help so much because I'd have ideas, like, oh, that writes is coming here from LA. Maybe you should put them with this person. And like, I don't think he'd had someone before who like bothered connecting those dots. And like, I'd hear songs and thing and say to him like, oh, we should send it for the Saturdays, which was like a UK girl group at the time, mm-hmm. but just kind of spoke up and he ended up offering me a job. So I missed my spring semester. I finished online while working full time at Sony ATV as an A&R assistant. And it was crazy because I just like was so determined to work in live music and it didn't even occur to me. But I think that was a bit of a learning lesson there about just being open-minded. And I tried to carry that with me through my career in general, but that was kind of my start. And then you asked about like the dark, ugly moments. Um, About a year and a half into working there, Sony TV merged with EMI and that basically for every job someone was gonna have to lose it and I just had a moral dilemma because I'm like this was never my dream I love it but it wasn't my dream and I don't want to cost someone else their job I mean I don't know which one of us was gonna be let go but I went in and quit and I was like it was so easy to find this job for sure I will find another like how could I not like stupid cocky about the whole situation and I handed in my notice without having anything else lined up and I was a bratty privileged kid because I was living with my parents and I was just so lucky my old internship boss at billboard was like oh while you're looking for a job do you want to freelance for us so I made money writing for them and I started applying for jobs and nobody would hire me. Like literally it was like four interviews a week minimum. I thought I had a great connection with some of these people. I never heard from them again. Like it was so soul destroying. I just was like, I wasn't built for this. Like no one wants to hire me. This is a me problem. I'm not going to work in music anymore. And it was really hard not to take it personally and have it you really have a big impact on my self-esteem and confidence. And actually my friends from Syracuse, a lot of them really held me up and were like, just keep going, you'll find something. And I got to a point where I just didn't believe it. And I was so, so terribly depressed. And towards the end of this year of just like, you know, being on the other side now and having hired in the past, I know that it's usually not about there being something wrong with the interviewee. It's just that there's a better fit. But when you're in the interviewing position, it's really hard not to think like I suck and this is because I'm terrible. So uh, a friend of mine called me one day and was like, hey, I went to a party last night with Lana Del Rey's manager and he was complaining about how he's so busy and only has one person working at his company. You should hit him up. So I was like, why not? Like, 
at this point, I didn't give a um, so I just sent uh, him an email and I was like, hello, I heard you're busy. I would like to help to show you how much value I can add. I am willing to work for you for free for three months and then you can make a decision, which again, I, I know was, I was lucky to be in that position anyway, but I was so desperate and I was like, when can we meet with something so douchey? And he was like, oh, do you want to come in tomorrow and get coffee? And I met with him. It was a Thursday, I remember vividly. And Monday I started. And originally the job, it, the company's called Tap. But originally, like I said, there was one other employee there. And I was a junior management assistant. They had Lana Del Rey, who's already a superstar at this point. And then they have a bunch of people in development. So I started out kind of like making their itineraries and taking them to meetings and making sure they woke up on time and just like, you know, things like that. But I noticed that since a lot of them weren't signed to labels, there was no one kind of developing their music or sound. And so I had this experience from Sony where thankfully I was familiar with the right to producer community and I had friends who made music. I was like, why don't I set these people up in some writing sessions? And so my role just kind of naturally evolved where I still did day-to-day -day management as I progressed on the management side, but I was also making my own lane A&R-wise where any of their developing apps, I was putting in the studio and getting their music together and helping them make EPs and albums. And I signed a couple of writers and producers and was managing them. And like, I was so fortunate because Ben and Ed, who ran the company, gave me a lot of autonomy and weren't just like this random kid showed up one day. <laughs> they were like, let's have faith in her and uh, empower her to do these things. So they were really great and the job was the coolest part was that it took me around the world because these people would go on writing trips to Sweden or Los Angeles or Toronto and I would go with them and I ended up spending a lot of time in Los Angeles like chaperoning trips and taking people to the studio and about a year and a half into working at TAP Ben called me and was like just met this girl you're gonna freak out over her like her voice is crazy she is a superstar I'm going to send you some demos. Can you set up sessions? And uh, it was Dua Lipa. So she was like 19 years old. She's literally, I think, was like working the door at a nightclub in London to survive. And I just started booking her writing sessions. And one day she sent us a demo of Hotter Than Hell, which is one of her um, singles on her first album. And we absolutely lost it. And we're like, this is insane. And Joe Kensish from Warner in the UK heard it and like freaked out too and was really her first and biggest champion. And that meant something when it came time for her to do a label deal, she really connected with him. And so a lot of these acts signed, got signed to label, some didn't. I stayed involved on the A&R front with all of them. And especially because Dua's deal was done, she was writing more and more often in LA. So I would go with and I met so many incredible friends out here. I would say I was spending like half of the month here and half in London. So I asked Ben and Ed if there was any way that instead of living in London and flying to LA for two weeks, I could live in LA and fly to London for two weeks instead. 
And they very kindly agreed. So I relocated to Los Angeles and it was like just so fun seeing all these great things happening for the roster. Like obviously Dua was at the beginning of a really impressive and amazing career. And Mike Karen, who runs APG, reached out and Mike, you know, he signed a bunch of incredible and successful acts across so many genres and it was so impressive that I was like I'm just going to take the meeting I wasn't really trying to leave tap but I wanted to know what he had to say and we really hit it off and he was like look right now yes you're doing A&R but you're also doing management and flying all the time and it's like wouldn't you want to be creative 100% of the time you can do that here and he just struck me as such an A&R genius I thought it would be a crazy opportunity to learn from him So I ended up leaving TAP and going to work at APG, which again, is like, you know, they have publishing and label. Um, And I inherited a small roster of songwriters, like the Futuristics and Sam Martin, all these people who wrote like tremendous hit songs, couldn't believe I was working with them. And again, I knew nothing about music publishing. So people listening might not, but some of the things that I would do as a publishing A&R were, you know, Sam sent me an incredible song and I was like, this sounds like the Trainsmokers to me. And I sent it to the guys and then they ended up producing it and rewriting some of it and made an incredible song. And then they put it out and I was like, what a crazy job this is that like little old me who knows nothing about music can be so close to a song being created and coming out. Like it just feels good. And I really enjoyed that process. One day, a scout at APG sent me this girl called Amy Allen. She was on tour with her band from Berkeley and was fully just like in artist mode. And I met with her and I was struck by like, crazy work ethic most charismatic personality I was like this girl is gonna win no matter what and she had simultaneously met with a really big songwriter called Scott Harris and Scott writes all of Shawn Mendes songs with him and he's done like Taylor Swift Dua like a bunch of stuff so Scott and I chatted and we're like what if we signed her together and he mentored her as a songwriter and I helped with like pitching and putting together her sessions So we signed Amy, she within like a month had her first song be Back to You with Selena Gomez, which was like unheard of for this brand new songwriter to come out and their first thing to be Selena. Like it was crazy. And her ascent and career has been like the most impressive thing to see. Like within a year, she had written Without Me for Halsey and then Adore You came out with Harry Styles and um, she and I were very, very close. And a few years went by, I was at APG, like very devoted to this roster. It was a different way of working than my first publishing job where it was like literally 80 songwriters. And now I have eight and I can speak to them every day and actually make sure they're all happy, I hope. Um, But I missed the artist side of things. And the futuristics who I worked with were managed at the time by Aaron Bashak, who's the chairman of Warner. And he and I were chatting and... Mike and Aaron were really close and so they were like it was all very very friendly and like fine I left APG to go work at Warner and then Amy who was like my baby and was upset that I was leaving asked if I would manage her so uh, I started managing Amy joined Warner in the A&R department And um, in terms of her career Amy ended up making her own album which 
is not out yet, but is incredible. And so I teamed up with a guy called Jonathan Ishak, who manages Maggie Rogers and Leon Bridges and Lennon Stella and a bunch of incredible artists. And we manage Amy together. And then I'm full-time at Warner as an A&R. And my role there is unique because I do sign artists and I develop them, but also because of my history with songs and with writers and producers, I kind of help across the roster, A, in finding songs that people consider outside ideas, and B, in just setting people up with their creative team. Like, I love matchmaking. So when a new artist comes in, often I'll meet with them, even if they're not my signing, and we'll chat, and I'll kind of figure out, like, oh, I think you would really love this producer. Like, let me call them and help people make their music that way. So I think that was probably the most long-winded spiel you have ever encountered, but I hope it helped. No, I feel like it's the same link that I also say when people ask me the question. So I enjoy it because I love the way that you connected it together and showed step-by-step kind of how you did that and what you're doing. So, you know, I know this is a question that is impossible to ask. So I've actually changed it from day to month. Um, What would a typical month be like in non-COVID times for you in your position right now? So um, in the daytime, I take a lot of meetings. I love meeting with writers and producers and making sure when I set up sessions, like I don't just take into account like, oh, they should work together because he did Lumineers and this guy's folk. Like I'm more just like, yeah. oh, I've met that producer before. They would really get on as humans. Like I like to take personality into account. So I meet with producers and writers very frequently in the day, talk to my artists constantly, text, email, call, whatever, make sure they're at their sessions okay, the music's on task to come out. And then at night, I would either be going to shows or um, having dinner meetings with people basically. And I will say I'm grateful in ways to the pandemic, which sounds crazy, but it's given me a lot of perspective on work-life balance because I had something every night before. I'm never doing that to myself again. It's like not necessary. Yeah. Um, But it was very go, 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 like all the time. And so, yeah. Well, I like you had said in kind of, you answer a few questions for us before this and you said you give yourself two nights a week to yourself which is which is I think a really good idea you know that's something I want to really keep doing yeah and I'm talking about like weekdays as well like I just want to make sure that I'm not always and you know what I also go about which probably sounds crazy but I'm like I want to go to concerts of people I love like I kind of don't feel like randomly checking out unsigned shows there's amazing people on the A&R stuff who are so good at doing that like and enjoy it Mm -hmm. if I'm going to a show I want it to be someone I'm obsessed with already and I know that sounds crazy but I'd like that to be my thing going forward too I love that you say that because I I totally feel that way and I feel like it's something I haven't been allowed to say like I just want to be like no I don't want to go to every songwriter's round in Nashville every night but it's just like living in Nashville, do you know how many songwriters rounds I've seen in 15 years? Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's one thing if you're supporting your friend or you have an artist, but like, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. (laughs) It just doesn't do it for me. Like, like a full produced. That's one of my favorite things about not living in Nashville anymore. (laughs) I don't have to do that. (laughs) Don't have to do that. I know. You know, it was weird when I moved to LA. I remember thinking like, like me and my person that was, I was friendly with, we were like, 
why is it boring here at night? And we're like, oh, there's like no live music in LA. Cause even like some nights in Nashville, you're just like, let's just go where there's a band playing, you know? And there's just not that in LA, which is interesting. It's yeah. very different. There definitely are places you can do that. I actually was just thinking, I think maybe we are opposite in the sense that I'm so obsessed with writers and hearing them sing the stuff they wrote. I think I'd rather go to a writer <laughs> than a lot of shows that they go to. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe we should swap. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess like for me, like on the marketing side, I want to see a production that I can get ideas from and like that, I get off on that. But like, I don't do yeah. anything with the music side. So I'm like, okay, you bring it to me when it's pretty and polished <laughs> and then I can sell it. I totally get it. You know, I get that. that's cool. Cause you get like, we all have different parts of the process in the music industry from like an idea to writing, to a song, to production, to a product and selling it, performing it live. And it's, it's really cool sometimes because we don't all work together on that always. It's kind of like a piece and a piece and a piece and they all get kind of passed along. And it's really cool when you get to connect with other people within that chain that maybe you're not working side by side with on a daily basis. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, you know, I'm sure you've, you're asked this question a lot, but I think it's always important to talk about on this show. Say I'm a young writer and I want to be discovered or whatever. What are some real tangible tips that you can give on mm-hmm. how to kind of like go from wanting to, you know, being in little rounds in Nashville where nobody's coming to getting people like you to pay attention? I think a really big thing I've noticed in successful rides to careers is that they knew when to like ring the bell and say, look at me, I'm ready. Mm. I, you know, it's really hard when you're a creative person to accept that you're not at your best yet and you have room to grow and that's fine. Uh, you can still have people on your team who believe in you, but artists and writers alike, I think put a lot of pressure on getting deals. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's so not the thing to focus on. Like, I, I feel like getting a deal happens because of sizing shit that's going on in your life already. Mm-hmm. And if you're a self-starter and motivated, especially in the rights world, if you're in Nashville, like, there's so many networking opportunities. And I found that the writing community there especially is very open-minded where it's like, if they hear something good, they will try a day with you. And so be a networking whiz, get in great rooms and it doesn't need to be the best hit writers. It should just be people you write your best stuff with. Mm-hmm. Amy wrote back to you the Selena song with people who also had never had a hit come out before. So yeah. it wasn't you know, instead of chasing hit rights as an artist, like just try and make the best possible product. I think for songwriters, signing with a PRO is really instrumental, like because they are so great to have as fans and they can connect you with a bunch of people. Um, Also, again, similar to a deal, people are so preoccupied with getting a manager, which is great. But I think getting a lawyer can almost be more important early in someone's career. Lawyers are great hype people for their clients. And also they are usually big connectors and they will protect you. That is their job. And so those, those are kind of my tips. I get a lot of like unsolicited DMs that are like, check out my music. And I'm like, that's not it. Like, I don't think... <laughs> I've never heard of anyone ever getting signed that way. Like, wouldn't it be better if you put the time and effort that you spend DMing random A&Rs 
into gaining fans and making something happen so that A&Rs are harassing you. Like, I think that would feel way better than being the one constantly DMing strangers. So would you say you've ever kind of clicked through or you ever do with that kind of stuff? I I have done, like, also in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I felt like I had a lot more free time. So I set up an email address to receive random Mm -hmm. submissions. And it was cool. Like I definitely had really good stuff, but there nothing that was like so standout and exceptional. There yeah. were people that I was like with work, they'll be at a place where it makes sense to have a conversation. Yeah. But you know, me being now a layboy and now that's not my job to do. It's like yeah. on them to get to a point where the conversation makes sense. Yeah. I was totally. going to ask, do you, you know, I think kind of, kind of going back to the point about, you know, pe- people harassing you on DMs, you know, the advice I always like to give to, you know, I think with artists and writers is it's always a better situation for people to be coming to you pitching. Your, I feel like nobody wants to be told what to sign. I feel like people want to discover it. Do you agree with that sentiment? I agree. I also will say that like a lot of the things I've signed have been tips by word of mouth from people I trust. And so that's also just like helpful is like, you know, if you're gonna reach out to someone, again, I think it's often a lawyer or songwriters and producers will hit me up and be like, I just work with this amazing artist, they should be on your radar, etc. I think word of mouth is better than you directly hitting people up. Yeah, that's great advice. In my uh, year of unemployment I did at one point create an email address for me and then an assistant email address with a fake name so I had two and I'd be like looping in blah 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 to schedule and it would just be me with another email address and I'm like honestly artists sometimes I think should do that because it takes away the personal nature where it's like you don't want to I don't want to trouble or bother creative people directly I'm like just loop me in with someone I can talk to um so I love that I love that I think protecting yourself too just being a creative person like when you write songs oftentimes they're your personal experiences that you've lived put into music and like I'm aware of that I don't want to insult someone's experiences if I'm saying I don't like a song that could be misinterpreted as what happened to you wasn't exciting Mm, I don't know I'm just so cautious of feedback in general and careful with it that like I don't I just like would rather speak to a middleman yeah that makes and you know I I say this a lot to artists I'm like you know a manager or whomever it is a lawyer they're there to be the bad guy so you don't like because you don't want to be that person as the artist because because then that's projected on you that you're difficult so you know you're also somebody it's weird because it's like an artist um, is somebody, or a songwriter even, is somebody who is running their own business. You know, they're sailing their own ship. You know, their brand is their business. And like, you don't want to be the person who's also doing all the dirty work and making all the decisions and negotiations because it makes you, it comes off on your brand looking bad. So I agree completely. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned a few artists that you liked that I think are very along the lines of type the type of music Cassie and I like. So I wanted to expand on that conversation and kind of hear about more artists you liked growing up and now. Oh man, I like my biggest phobia is that someone can somehow find my most listened to songs on Spotify every year because 
it is like 90% embarrassing. One of my best friends in LA is a British songwriter called Boy Matthews. And he and I both grew up on like bubblegum pop. And he's like the only person that can know. And even when he scrolls through, he's like, Gabs, how many times could you possibly have listened to this song for it to be so high up here? But I don't know. I loved like all the boy bands, obviously, and the Brit pop era of like Oasis and Blur and things like that. But like, I don't know, to this day, one of my favorite artists is Robbie Williams. And it like pains my soul that no one in America cared about him. I like can't deal with it. The most tragic thing is that I post about Robbie so frequently on my social media that someone reached out to me and was like, hey, your birthday's coming up. He's doing a Vegas residency. I got you a meet and greet. And I was like, oh man, I'm meeting Robbie for my 30th birthday. Like, I cannot believe I was losing my mind. And then COVID happened. So now I will never meet Robbie. No, you will. You will. Yeah, you will. I hope. Robbie Williams is on my pop cardio list. Oh my, that's incredible. That making, the guy who made Greatest Showman is making a Robbie Williams movie. And I'm like, that's so good. That soundtrack does so well that Americans don't even know it, but they're all obsessed with Robbie. I will feel so vindicated. (laughs) I think people people would congratulate me if Robbie blew up in America because they know how invested I feel in this journey. Thankfully, I also have a palette for people like Amy Winehouse, who I absolutely love. Like, I do have a weird thing about Dido, which my friends know about. I loved her. I recently met a rap A&R who was like, oh, yeah, Dido, the woman on the Eminem song. And I'm like, I feel so disrespected. <laughs> like, I can't. Wow. I was so upset. Um, so there's definitely a lot of UK stuff in there. But then... All the great American pop. I'm like literally still obsessed with Britney. Listen to her all the time. Like we'll have full on like hour long debates about her best deep album cuts and unreleased demos. Like it just, again. So uh, what are your feelings on the song Autumn Goodbye? Because that's my favorite Britney Spears song. That's your favorite? (laughs) I like it. I wouldn't say it's like top 10, you know. Here's the thing. It's not my favorite. (laughs) But it was like one of the first times I felt like I was really into, I guess I didn't know what a deep cut was. And it kind of was that. And it was like this thing of like, oh, you don't even know that song, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, That was like um, one of that was called like, what you see is what you get. Yes. (laughs) We choreographed a dance for it. And we thought we were so cool because everyone else is learning. Oops, I did it again. Mm -hmm. Choreo. And we're like, "Uh uh-uh. I thought some of the best choreo she ever had was in concert for the song don't go knocking on my door and it had these doors and it was amazing and it's just like this memory I have in my head she is honestly the best ever and I see a lot of young artists now and it makes me feel old because they're trying to like mimic what Britney did and I'm like wow I'm at an age where the young people see her as like the pioneer to poppy like and I'm like, she saw Dolly as, or, you know, yeah, whatever, like yeah. Cindy, whoever inspired her. I'm like, we are now the age of, it just freaks me out so much. And I'm insulted by all of their efforts because I'm like team Britney till I die, you know? I am. Um, um, there's a meme going around right now and it's completely true and it's terrifying. And it says, 
the way that in the 90s we thought about the 1960s is how kids now think about the 90s because it's the same amount of time blew That's my mind so terrifying. blew my mind I'm like so I have to like remember that 2000 wasn't 10 years ago yeah I don't know if that happens to you. I get like very confused. I'm like, oh, 2004, like about 10 years ago. No, I I completely agree. Um, Something else I wanted to bring up, just as you wish Robbie Williams, you know, had been a bigger hit in America. (laughs) Cassie and I's, uh, one of our favorite bands ever is McFly. And that's how we feel about them. What about All About You? I'm obsessed with that Oh, yes. My friend works with Ben Platt and I've been begging him for years to get Ben Platt to cover it. I don't know why I decided that that is who needs to make Americans know about that song. But it's just like, how does no one know them here? Oh, and so we actually- We went to the UK for the first time to see that I have- I have, besides one time when I was on tour in the UK, I have only been to the UK multiple times to see McFly. Like that's, that's the only reason. One of my friends in LA, um, who, she works at Prescription. She's incredible. She's like best friends with a member of Busted. Mm-hmm. And she's like always like, I'm so starstruck by the mere mention of Busted that she con- wants us to meet socially. And I like won't go places if I know he will be there. Who is I'm- it, James? James, I'm like, yeah. I can't. So one time James was doing a charity show. I don't know what story you're going to tell. James was doing a charity show for us, which was literally uh, like us and another guy that we knew in this other boy band. And we like made it happen because we wanted to hang out with James Bourne. And I don't, this is like the most vivid memory to me. And like, I had like just kind of come in and met him and he's eating. We're like in a pub. And he's like literally offered me like a potato off of his plate. And I was like, Part of me wanted to like put it in my pocket, but I, I was like, but he's trying to like offer it to me on a fork. And I'm like, do I eat it? Do I grab it? Like, like what do I do? And it was very stressful. I'm sure he would have appreciated any form of uh, potato retrieval. I was just kind of like, uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> I was like so stressed <laughs> as to what to do about this potato. But yeah, James has, uh, he's promised to do our boy bands uh, show a few times and he doesn't show up so he also has my number in his phone but he thinks I'm somebody else (laughs) like like he definitely like thinks I'm somebody else like I know him dying to know what he is sending sounds like (laughs) and I'm like that's I'm like we don't have that relationship that's Um, so funny I honestly like have met so many through work and stuff like megastars of today and I am fine like I am not even remotely starstruck but anyone who was famous before I worked in music Mm -hmm. terrified I like can't do it like I'd be fine maybe not but I think I'd be cool meeting like Billie Eilish but if you bring McFly to my home I would shut down I wouldn't know what to do Yes, so, I, I feel. How that. do you feel about um big song like Max Martin? Like obsessed. But like, like, does that make you nervous? Like to meet people like that? Because for me, I, I like freak out. I can't do it. And like, um, Gavin, <laughs> who's one of you know Max's main collaborators, I've now met through work. And I remember I took Amy to meet him for coffee, and I was mute. You can tell I talk a lot. Like, I could not speak, and I don't know how, but we've become like friends that 
interact about the music business and songs and stuff. Like yesterday I posted a song on Instagram by Steps, who are a UK. Yes. The first time I saw Britney Spears, Steps open for her. (laughs) He was the only person who replied, by the way. And he was like, oh my God, such a jam. And I'm like, I finally feel seen by somebody. And it's Savin Katecha, the best songwriter ever. So also I feel like we need to connect you with Tim Burns so you can be friends with him. He I, steps yeah. was his band. Do you know Tim? Yeah. Yeah. So he'll talk about it all day long. You know who he is. I've never met him, but again, like would probably be mildly starstruck. So I mean, you can literally just go to his house and hang out. It's no big deal. Yeah. He's the he'd, best. he'd be like, come to him. my pool. Like That's no big deal. So funny. But yeah, you should I, listen. I, he actually did our, the boy band show a few weeks ago and he like goes through his top 10 boy band moments of like that he's touched and worked on. And it's really cool. I'm, I'm sure it's absolutely insane. I fully, anyone who has worked with Brittany, I'm terrified of. I'm like, I only want to hear positive stories. And that everyone within a moment is like, we only have positive stories. She's the best. But I still like to give a disclaimer. I'm like, I will not hear slander of my girl. So I've met like people who have been in the studio with her and been starstruck by them, by mere association. So any of those Swedish hit rises. I'm like, I can't speak to you. My respect is overwhelming. Yeah. I remember Max came to the Backstreet Boys Vegas residency one time, which I basically like lived in Vegas and, and worked the show every night. And so the thing is I have videos of him on my phone. He's standing there singing songs that he wrote. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like he was just jamming and like, he looks like me at a concert, just like singing the damn song. And it was insane. It was insane. I could not bring myself to talk to him later until I got really drunk. And then I was told, please don't. <laughs> because I'm just, just so nervous. Do you know Carly who works at? Yeah. Carly so, was the one who stopped me. Yes. Oh my, she's a legend. She went to the same <laughs> program as me at Syracuse. Oh, okay. So yeah. Like and so she, I've gone a few times to Backstreet Boys residency in Vegas. And again, it's like, we were like getting a drink before and like how he walked by and she's like, let me introduce you. And I'm like, absolutely not. I will not be able to do this. Like, do not bring him near me, please. And then like Nick borrowed her for a moment and I'm like, don't look at me. Like no eye contact. I'm so scared. I mean, so, so we work obviously with Backstreet and like that was us for the first few years. Yeah. Like that's it took so a while. Nice. I don't want it to be ruined. That's <laughs> I don't so, want to know. That's so nice. Cause I, you know, Carly obviously has worked with them for a while and they sound like the nicest people they ever. They really are. It's they, good getting yeah. feedback like that. I'm also just probably like, I, I think this level of fangirl in me is not normal in general. Like, so I've never bonded with people before about feeling this way. I feel very Oh safe. my gosh. Do you realize like the <laughs> reason we started our company was because we were crazy Backstreet Boys fans and wanted to one day work with them. That was yeah. the entire like structure of our lives. I was obsessed with Boyzone, which was like Mm. this Irish boy band. Yeah. And uh, my first celebrity crush was Steven, who, when I was about nine, came out. And I had to miss school that day due to the devastation that struck me. And unfortunately, Steven is no longer with us. But like literally like Boyzone, if I met any of them now, would lose it. I'm it's so strange that those things freak me out but I'm fine with any literally I've met like Jay-Z and been cool yeah I was fine oh no we feel it we feel all of the things you're saying yeah 100 percent 
Like, cause people, but here's the thing, like nobody now is going to like mentally affect me in a fan state like they did when I was younger and impressionable, you know? And that just like stays with you. And I think what's interesting with the Backstreet Boys is like, I know them very well, but when they perform, like when they are on stage, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> like it just, you just go back to it, man. It's just, it's so easy. I feel like the only people I'm that much of a fangirl for now are my roster. Cause I'm like upset. Mm. I think my job is to be a professional fan. Cause I'm just begging people to care about things. And yeah, maybe I'm just a sophisticated street team member now. That's kind of just my job, I guess. Yeah, that's what the title of this episode is going to title. be. <laughs> that's perfect. You were just sophisticated. Sophisticated. I feel like yeah. we should start a club of that. Like, like yeah. adults who are just, you know, we've, we were sophisticated street team members. That must be more of us out there. I just oh, there's tons. Girl, I feel like I need to introduce you to so many people because I have, we have so many friends like this. Like most of our friendships are made up for that reason, you know? That's amazing. Awesome. So um, is there anything else you want to talk about or include on the episode? I would say, because I get, like I said, John Cohen, he was amazing when I emailed him annoyingly as a child. Well, I was a college student, but whatever. Um, I get hit up by people a lot now and I love answering questions and mentoring and meeting people. But I also get hit up a lot with like zero agenda. And I'm like, I get a lot of emails that doesn't speak to me. I think if you reach out, I'd love if anyone has questions, having listened to this, who didn't care about McFly and actually wanted to hear about industry stuff. Um, If you email me questions or DM me questions, I always answer if you're trying to like learn something about the industry. It's more just the like, check out my nephew's neighbor's dog song like I'm not that's not really it but I do love helping however I can if that's like a clear agenda amazing so So how where can people follow you um I am probably the most responsive on IG which is just gabs 3003 very confusing that's my birthday in England we start with the date (laughs) happy birthday (laughs) all right thanks if you guys want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at How I Got Backstage and Twitter at I Got Backstage. Also, you can follow me at Folia Jade and Cassie at Cassie Petrie. This episode has been edited by Hannah Humphreys and produced by CrowdSurf with original music by Cody Falkosky. 